Hello everybody, I'm your host Hal Curtis and I'd like to welcome you to The Space Industry by SatSearch, where we share stories about the companies taking us into orbit. In this podcast, we delve into the opinions and expertise of the people behind the commercial space organisations of today who could become the household names of tomorrow. Before we get started with the episode, remember you can find out more information about the suppliers, products and innovations that are mentioned in this discussion on the global marketplace for space at satsearch.com. Hello and welcome to the Space Industry Podcast. On today's episode, I'm joined by representatives from two different SatSearch members who are currently working together to improve Earth observation capabilities through advanced onboard processing. And that's what we want to discuss with them today. Our guests are Soren Pedersen from Unibap, a Swedish public company that creates AI and automation technologies in order to improve industrial processes. And Thijs Kronje from Cymerasense, a South African-based manufacturer of earth observation cameras and other optical payloads. So welcome, Soren and Thijs. Uh, it's great to have you both with us today on the Space Industry Podcast. Uh, is there anything you might want to add to those introductions there? Soren, you first. Uh, no, it's a very nice introduction. Thank you for having me. Great, Thijs. Yeah, from my side, there's nothing I can add. Uh, and thanks for having, having us here on, on your great show. Great. So um, let's dive into the questions. Um uh, and hopefully we can cover a bit of range of different um, areas because I know you guys are working together. Your companies are working together on a mission, which we can which we can touch upon. Firstly, Soren, I wondered how if you could give us a little bit of an overview of how intelligent satellites are today and how mature you feel you know AI is for for space missions. I think in general, there's not a lot of intelligence being put on spacecraft or already on orbit today. But it's definitely one of the things that will be seeing that that's going to be launched over the uh, the next uh, many, many years on, on many different missions going up into space. So the level today is low, but it, it's a rising need and trend going to support, say, almost every aspect of the downstream business in space. So that's sort of, we're starting to see more and more AI go into space, but and, and the maturity for that reason is also still getting there. Excellent. So it's some um, early days, but there are you know clear paths forward, perhaps. And one of the, the major areas that the use of AI for onboard processing has been targeted at is, unsurprisingly, the Earth observation sector. So, Tice, obviously, this is your this is your world, and I wondered if you could give us a, a bit of an overview in order to begin with of how. Earth observation data is captured in cameras today, and what are the areas of improvement that could add value to end users tomorrow? Yes, thank you. You're you're 100 correct. So Earth observation is today, as we see it, is still quite what we call linear. You get an instrument, usually either optical or, or radar or any other kind of technology, but it's an instrument integrated into a satellite, usually nadir facing towards the Earth, and it catches. Uh, in, in an optical payload, it, it will catch photons. So it catch photons, translated into electrons, and that's translated into a bitstream stored on in mass memory on the satellite. And when the satellite passes over a uh, over a ground station, the data is downloaded to the ground station. And in in the downstream network, it is the data is corrected, calibrated, and maybe archived, and then distributed to the various uh, role players that uses this data to make decisions. So what I'm mentioning there is quite a linear process. And within that process, there's lots of bottlenecks. And when we 
speak about AI and those kind of advanced processing on board, I think that's where, where advanced processing at this point in time can add a lot of value. How one can reduce those bottlenecks or address those bottlenecks, reduce the data, make the whole process smoother, just get the data that you need on Earth. So, and, and make it interactive, make it autonomous and that whole process. That's in a nutshell how the Earth observation data stream works today and, and where we can, advanced processing can add value. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, I think um, manufacturers and you know, service providers in space across any sector are very familiar with the bottlenecks that this unique environment <laughs> can present us with. And, and that is, is surely got to be, Soren, you know, to you, this, surely that's got to be the case for, um, for the development of, of the sort of systems that you're talking about. I mean, the using GPUs and high-performance computing hardware in space is, as you say, quite quite a new trend in the early days and the 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 environment that space presents surely throws up certain challenges for the creation of architectures that involve high-end processing devices like this how are manufacturers overcoming these issues in order to make these systems functional in orbit well at univap we had to sort of come at that problem from a a new sort of approach because we initially looked at the different architectures out there available. We have a, a very strong background on the space environment and specifically the radiation environment. And we had to sort of take that into account as, as everyone does when, when designing the systems for space. And we could see that a lot of the GPUs uh, out there were not well performing on the uh, on on radiation uh, on on and uh, on different types of radiation also so this is both uh, on TID and Edshop and and sort of the the different elements you have there and uh, what we ended up with was going for an AMD based uh, architecture the the Ryzen architecture but that's uh, you get that on uh, on an SOC where you have uh, an x86 uh, CPU architecture that's definitely not been developed for space. So in that, we had to come up with a new way of managing the system, micromanaging and monitoring the system in space. So we're able to, to detect if we have hung kernels, if we have a different latch up and that sort of thing, and then mitigate that and monitor the system. And, and through that, we've developed something called uh, safety chip and safety boot. This has uh, been done with uh, high support from the European Space Agency, and, and that'll actually allow us to a high degree to, to monitor all of the different processes on, ongoing in the GPU and uh, restart parts of the processes or, or restart the full GPU if, if that's the issue. So you can say onboarding some of these COT components and flying them in space it's not a straightforward thing to do, especially not if you're looking to have a high performance and super stable system. It's okay if you just want to process for five minutes and, and then shut down again. You can, I, I guess you can use a lot of different options that's available out there. But, but if, you're, if your target is to manage these things, manage the risk and design a system where you have a super stable performance, it, it's a non-trivial task. But it is the... The sort of solution you need to smooth out the bottlenecks that Tice is talking about. So, so uh, um, you've had to uh, really come at that from the ground up in some ways. Then, in terms of the, um, if you could maybe discuss a little bit about Unibap Space Cloud product, and in particular the process that through which 
the product is used to integrate with satellite mission developers. Are you primarily working with payload manufacturers, such as the project that you're doing with SamiraSense? Or is it about another part of the value chain? We try at Unibab to, to work in, in multiple directions at, at the same time. So one of them is uh, to, to direct our, say, space cloud interfacing towards the, the different sensor providers out there, being being optical sensors like the ones Samira is, is providing, or it can be high-performance SDRs. It, it can be basically any sensor that, that provides an electrical interface, which is what we have and, and can be as high as, as 20 gigabits per second uh, input into space cloud. So, so that's sort of on, on the sensor side. Then we have a space cloud ecosystem where we are working to, to sort of on, on the basis of what the space cloud OS and framework is to offer a number of different tools that we can use to do both data preparation. So to when we take in the images from, from Simira Sense, we can like in the project that we have with them now, we can we can take in the raw data. We can, in this case, uh, Tyson and his team are, are good enough to do the auto rectification to the data. But then we onboard it into to Space Cloud and we do the the band registration. Uh, we do the geolocation on the individual hypercubes. So this is a sort of a, a processing intense task uh, because there's a lot of data to sort of sort through here and, and, and get aligned in, in uh, how you want it to be. So so you sort of bring it up to an L1 state. And from there, we hand it over to, in this case, uh, just applying CCSDS compression algorithms and downloading it to ground. But you could easily apply tools like uh, NVIDL, which is a part of Space Cloud, or uh, you could apply uh, tools also provided from uh, Space Metric. That's also an integrated part of Space Cloud where we can we can develop and and run all of these smart algorithms to detect uh, different objects and then send the metadata to ground, basically. Right, right, fascinating. So yeah, there's uh, lots of different ways of making this thing more efficient, making the these uh, the, the data transfer more powerful, more useful for the end user and. The, the sort of AI capabilities we're we're talking about there, Tice. Maybe if I could ask you, the where are we in terms of you know integrating Earth, Earth observation payloads with these sort of capabilities, and and what steps do companies such as yourselves, camera manufacturers, what what are you taking, or do you need do you feel you need to take in order to better support the development of the AI based um, you know onboard data processing, which could which could help your business and your your customers. Yes, that's a that's a very good question. And to be honest, uh, it's early days. It's very early days, but we are already seeing the see a lot of progress is is made. And but a lot of the progress is still on a, what I call an experimental side. But uh, if if I can take this this example that Soren just mentioned, that's for we are working with a client that wants to fly one of our hyperspectral cameras in space. Uh, and they want to capture as much, a lot of data, as much of data as possible per day and download it to Earth. And uh, when we started the discussions with, with the client, we, we soon realized that, that the client's expectations and, and what the satellite can do is not aligned. So, so we needed to think a little bit out of the box and tell the client, yes, you know, you can capture this much of data, but how are you going to get it onto the ground? How are you going to move that 
but that big amount of data in as efficient and cheap possible way to to your service so so that you can start the process because they wanted the, they had quite high expectations they wanted daily data within a limited time frame they wanted data from the satellite to the ground and it comes at a cost you know downloading data from the satellite to the ground is not cheap at if you actually need high priority high bandwidth and all that so at that point we we realized that that we needed a strong partner that can bring advanced processing to the table and and do all those number crunching in space for us reduce the volume of data to acceptable levels and do some advanced processing and get some insight already on the platform that we can stream to to the customer and then they can uh, uh, make much better decisions on the ground and much quicker so so the value proposition is the sky is the limit you know and but it it takes it takes time to to convince the customer to 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 convey that message to convey that value proposition it's not easy but our task and that's where where unibop is also great with is is to to assist the client to make that whole process as easy as possible to let the com complex complexity disappear and i think the, the that's where we the the space cloud is is significant uh, because uh, it's not only about what's happening on board and the processing that you do on board the satellite, but it's also how, how that whole framework is integrated. And and one, lots of satellites uh, or mission operators forget about that. That it, it's not only what's happening on the satellite, but it's 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 a whole integrated uh, uh, framework that that you need to look at. Uh, and you need a, also a little bit of autonomy uh, to do this process, but that will come later. So, so it's early days, yes, and and I think uh, getting that whole infrastructure set up, and then we can build up on top of that with with our partners like Unibob. And I think it's 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 like computers in 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 the 80s, you know. In the 80s, we, we pretty much thought about computers as, as pieces of hardware. Nowadays, we think about a computer as a piece of software. It's, you, you don't, you forget, the hardware totally disappeared in the background. You don't know if you are talking to the cloud or if you are working on your own PC or where it's, it's, it's a whole integrated framework system. And, and that's where the, or where we hope this, this whole onboard processing, advanced processing, uh, like with applications like SpaceCloud will take us. Yeah, oh, excellent. So again, as you say, early days, but there's a willingness there to to solve these problems that are cropping up. And um, you know, it's an, another another great thing that you guys have is is a commercial opportunity, a commercial imperative to to solve these problems and to work on work on this project together. And and that's important because that's that's a real driver of of a change in the marketplace. And um, I guess on that, Soren, if if you are you know are willing and able to share a bit, I wondered if you could provide a bit of a sense of the of the cost of performance of of legacy solutions versus implementing you know AI based solutions for onboard processing in in the manner that we're that we're discussing here, or at least that you know at least about the factors that are involved in in such a, a comparison. Yeah, sure, and I think this is. This is going to be. I'm, I'm happy to do that, and and it's an important question to ask, and it's uh, and and I think uh, cost to performance. I mean, 
the dollars are always driving whatever it is that we're doing <laughs> to some extent at least. So I guess this is something to, to focus on. And this also has been quite a high focus point, uh, as Tites mentioned, on, on the mission that we're putting together here because there was a, uh, a downlink limitation in terms of how much data you could sort of get from the spacecraft uh, to ground. And we had to put up a or design a, a, a data processing chain that would, on one side, maximize that, and, and on the other side, ensure that we could get the best quality data to to the customer as part of this setup. So, as I as I said before, we're doing uh, we're doing some image data preparation. I unintentionally left out that we're also doing cloud masking. Then we are doing CCSDS data compression or image compression on board, and then sending it to ground and and if we try and and sort of we can add a a step more before we send it to ground which is applying smart algorithms and 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 then filtering out metadata but that's not a part of this mission but but for the cost saving or cost of performance example here it's it's a relevant thing to discuss also so I guess the first thing you can say uh, when you go through this, I mean, you need to bring the data up to a state where uh, you sort of minimize and, and, and focus on what it is that, that you want. So you have a data set that you can actually use. And that, that's the, sort of the first step. And then the next step here is, is to remove data that can't be used. And, and this is just a, a very simple way of doing that is... Uh, by doing cloud masking on board the spacecraft. So it's it's nothing new in the sense of artificial intelligence. It's just a very effective way of doing that. And, and I think the cloud masking example has been talked about by, by many different vendors and, and, and users and all of that. We're, we're working with Craft uh, Prospects from the UK to provide their algorithm set into space cloud. And so you can sort of use that and reuse that in this context. So if we want to quantify, what, what does that do to the cost of performance or how does that affect the data set? Well, you're probably looking at anywhere between, I guess, 4 to 60% of data reduction there because it's a, there's a lot of clouds out there. And it, it's, you know, it's, it's seasonal dependence. It's, uh, there's some geographical dependencies there. There's there's other dependencies in that processing chain, but but that can really allow you to just. I mean, if you're looking at at stuff on ground and that's clouds in between, well, let's get rid of the clouds because that's data without any value. So so that's one way of doing, it, or that that's sort of the first step to to take in that context. So w- once you're up to to the state where you sort of made that first very crude sorting of data, you're, you're at the state where you can start applying the, the smarter algorithms uh, before you start uh, to, to compress and send to ground. But let's, let's just keep that smarter algorithm box uh, in, in the talk uh, and, and take that at the end. So you can, uh, we're working with uh, Metaspectral from Canada to provide image compression algorithms here. So, so in that, they can do lossless compression of the data set up to about 60% and near lossless to above 90%. So you're really looking at a significant scaling of, of the data that you need to bring to ground in this context. And, and you can contact any sort of ground station provider and get numbers and sort of work around what that actually means. But it also means once you have the data on ground, 
it'll cost you less to maintain and, and mine that data on ground because there's less of it, but it's only the valuable stuff you have there. So that's sort of the, the processing chain we have established or are establishing for this project. But if you then add the smarter algorithms to this, so if you're looking to, to, to detect ships, maybe correlate that with AIS data on orbit. And once you've done that on orbit, you can you can really relay that through a a, a real time text link. Uh, you don't need a lot of uh, spectrum to to sort of link that information to ground. It's just a it's a position. It's a verification. It, it's nothing big on the data side. Uh, so you have that information, but you can do that for 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 buildings, for cars, for ships, for aircraft. For I, I mean, uh, there's people out there that's coming up with many more examples that I can give here. So on the data reduction side, it, it's not just about reducing data, but it's also about latency and making that data available at a very short time frame. And, and the cost of performance there is really, really big. Oh, excellent. So the, yeah, there's a number of factors which, uh, yeah, I guess are important to think about in terms of you know processing the raw images there as, uh, as it is. But what we're doing is changing the location of where that image is that data is processed and then as you say the idea of compressing it and sending it over but also the idea of of um of combining it with things like AIS data and I know various members of our our guests of our podcast have talked about this emerging concept of whole domain awareness total domain awareness different different terminology you know um combining data sources from on the ground and in space and and uh, where that the quality of the data that you use in those processes is going to be very important. The relevancy, the the size, how compressed it is, and how much processing has has already uh, it, it has already gone through. So so that's some that's really interesting. And you, the example you gave there obviously is really relevant to Earth observation, with especially with the clouds, is really relevant to to Earth observation applications that we're all used to. So Tice, I wondered from your perspective, do you think we'll see you know AI integration? in Earth observation, in the Earth observation industry, first happen in certain bands, such as RGB, and, and then move into more of the complex data? I know you mentioned you were working with a you know, hyperspectral camera there, and there's thermal, there's SAR. Or do you see these things happening in parallel, and almost the data type is, is the, the, the onboard processing is a little bit data agnostic, as maybe it should be, you know? I think uh, if, if I can quickly add something there, uh, just to throw a number on on the to throw a number on the table, uh, if you look at, at this, it depends on who you ask, but it's anything from 5 to 15% of the data downloaded from satellites are actually used. And that's a big, a very large, so, so you talk about an 85% of wastage. And if you can reduce that, you, you will save a lot of money because it's you are using a lot of spectrum, a lot of time, a lot of resources to get that data on the ground, and then you never use it. So let's go to get a something, a sorting machine on your spacecraft that can sort the data for you, capture that area of interest, compress it as much as possible, and get it on the ground, ground as quick as possible. As Soren mentioned, reduce that latency. Uh, if you need to download all the data, and just think about it, if you are interested in, in the coastlines, you know, then more than 50% of the data that you will capture is, is, is this, the deep sea that, that you don't want. You only want the coastline. So reduce that data and get it on, on the ground as quick as possible. And then your latency will also go down. Right, brilliant. And as you say, a lot of it will be market driven, which is 
always what you what you want to see in the commercial space sector. So you guys have, have mentioned a lot of the potential, you know, missions and types of applications that the combination of, um, you know, really advanced earth observation resolution systems and, uh, and onboard processing could bring into fruition. So I wondered if there was anything, just, just to wrap up, I wonder if there's anything else. Soren, I mean, you first, are there any particular mission types that you're most excited about that we could see coming on board in the next, you know, three to five years or any yeah missions processes anything using AI based onboard processing in that time frame maybe yeah there's lots of things coming that's going to be extremely interesting to see how they play out individually but I would say once that we and and I think this is very realistic to do this within a three to five year time frame once that we've sort of aligned a a global effort to sort of get things up there and get it working, being smart, but then starting to share data on orbit, as, as Tice is also talking about, so that we can actually autonomously task um, operations from spacecraft to spacecraft w- without necessarily having an operator on the ground in between is, is one of the things that I see as a, as a huge potential. It's not... I'm not saying it's an easy task, yeah, but it, it's definitely going to change things and, and the building blocks are there. So it's just a matter of having enough good engineers, I guess, to, to get it working. Uh, <laughs> that's that's one thing. And then so, th- so that's sort of on, on the Earth observation side. In terms of, of applications, I'm really much personally looking forward to and then uh, to seeing sort of the use of artificial intelligence and autonomous uh, operations being put to use in, in deep space missions because once we do that we'll we have a lunar orbiter if we have a mars orbiter if we have a mars rover t- talking to a uh, a mars orbiter uh, we, we can get so much more data we can get so much more knowledge about what's going on and and sort of use that to take not just one step but maybe two or three steps and and this so the use of ai is going to accelerate also sort of the exploration of of space in general and this is very much beyond uh, low earth orbit but it's going to play a huge role everywhere i think yes i think it's it's pretty much let's say data agnostic it's it's an onboard computer doing clever and and advanced processing so so the data itself it doesn't mind exactly where the data is coming from if it's coming from a sar product or from an optical or which band at the end of the day, if one should look at the low-hanging fruit and what the customers want, what's the real need at this point in time on the ground? And you must look at, at, at the industry. Yes, I think Saren mentioned quite a few ex- excellent examples of if you want to detect a ship and just stream down the text data of where the ship is, which way it is heading. If you want to look at aeroplanes, where is the aeroplane that you identified? on the location and just send the text down. And and for that, you only need eyeballs in, in space and eye, that's looking visible in the visible range. And I think those kind of, of, of applications are relative low-hanging fruit that one can, can, can use to solve very complex problems. As soon as you go to the hyperspectral and multispectral, when you ask a customer, they still want all the data on the ground. And... and uh, that's challenging, and it is also challenging to, to do take the process from level one to level two or three kind of, of data. To do that in space, on a spacecraft, 
is still a, a, a huge challenge. So, uh, so it's not going to be easy to solve it. But, but that's something towards we are working with uh, Unibob because the capabilities are there, the platforms are there. We just need to to focus a little bit on on the application side and and building trust in in that domain. I would say it's pretty much parallel then. We are working on solving those big issues, those difficult problems, but we're also working on sol solving the easier problems. I think one one example that one can look at and we only need eyeballs in, in, in the sky is where you use, we've discussed it with, with Unibob quite a few times, where we use a tipping, your system as a tipping queue kind of solution because we are focusing on CubeSats and CubeSats do have limitations on, on, on the spatial resolution. Now, but they can cover a relative large area for at a low cost. And if you can detect with that, uh, with those kind of cameras, certain anomalies and then give a message to the, the bigger satellite with a larger instrument on board, to focus on that specific area that you've detected, then, then it's it's a much better way to to use your your resources. So so those kind of applications we hope to see as well in in the future, where it's not only focused on one satellite with one solution, but where you're integrating it with a bigger system and and a bigger network. So yes, I think lots of these things will happen in parallel. Brilliant. Just a, a quick follow up on the first example that you gave with you know satellites tasking and, and, and communicating with each other in orbit. Are you mainly thinking about those applications in terms of a vendor's constellation or between satellites and constellations from, you know, between different vendors? I, I think that's a very good question. And, and if there is a need for, for the last one, yes. But again, it's going to be driven by whatever is, is most cost effective. And, and if there is a mission business uh, to actually doing that. I'm not aware that uh, there's been much business development done around that. How you can, how you can service different other constellations with data on orbit from other spacecraft. But but it's an interesting way of thinking. And I think uh, for having the infrastructure there, you have uh, things like Starlink and and other things going up now. So it's definitely something that that we'll be seeing going forward. I think in some way or form. Yeah. Sure. Again, market-driven, see who the winners and losers <laughs> become. So brilliant. And then, Tice, I guess the similar similar question to you, but just on the Earth observation side, um, in terms of you know your perspective on the industry, how do you see how do you see things evolving with the use of AI and onboard processing in the next three to five years? Say, yeah, yes, I'm 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 usually a little bit afraid to uh, to look in, into a glass ball because I'm frequently <laughs> shown that that I'm wrong. But but what I what I hope to see is that uh, even today, still the the discussions pretty much technology driven. Uh, we talk about the hardware, we talk about how we develop things and and the, the processes around that. And what I hope to see is that those kind of discussions will disappear and that. We see uh, we see more uh, software specialists, and data analysts, and those kind of people around the table, where the uh, where the hardware kind of disappear in the background. We use uh, it's just deploying applications uh, through the push of a button, and get uh, we we can get to that point. And with advanced processing, I wanted to use the term advanced processing because it it's not necessarily AI then. 
that, that you require, but, but you need advanced and efficient processing capabilities close to, on, on the edge to do that, close to the camera, close to the payload, close to the instrument. And, and your, your, uh, your cell phone has showed us lately the, uh, is, is a good example. And it, where, where you've got small, powerful system where you can take a photo any place, nearly in every corner on any corner on the, of the earth and share it with anybody on the globe, you know, and, and hopefully within, in the next five to 10 years, we, we will start seeing those kind of power from, from, from satellites where, where you can, uh, can have a cell phone in, in your hand and command a satellite to, to send you a picture of, of your crop so, so that you can get in, in 10 or 20 or hour or two, get the image in your hand. The hardware must just disappear in, in, in the background. And that fits into what Soren just also said, where, where you need the bigger communication system, because a set, a network of satellites to communicate with, with each other, where, where the whole system becomes kind of, autonomous and yeah hopefully i think that's part of where where we are also heading towards great well i think that's a really good place to finish up guys thank you um you know thank you both for sharing um, all your knowledge and insights on on onboard processing and ai in, in earth observation applications i think our audience will have learned a lot about what goes into these systems the the challenges the opportunities and um what it really takes to to put projects like this into space and the benefits that they'll bring so so yeah thank you both it's been uh, it's been great talking to you thank you for having me yes thanks thanks for having us as well thank you both and to all our listeners out there please know that you can find out more about both unibap and simira sense on the satsearch platform at satsearch.com uh, on the site you can also make requests for more information technical details documentation or to contact the company and discuss any aspect of your you know, queries or procurement purposes Thank you very much, and we look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Space Industry by SatSearch. I hope you enjoyed today's story about one of the companies taking us into orbit. We'll be back soon with more in-depth, behind-the-scenes insights from private space businesses. In the meantime, you can go to satsearch.com for more information on the space industry today, or find us on social media if you have any questions or comments. To stay up to date, please subscribe to our weekly newsletter and you can also get each podcast on demand on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Play Store or whichever podcast service you typically use.